Hey everybody, welcome back to the Eat Well Podcast. I'm Dylan, your host, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Jenny Peterson. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Dylan. Uh, cool. Hey, so today we've got um, my friend and uh, the uh, founder of the iHunter app. And the iHunter app, if you haven't familiarized yourself with it or met it, it's, a, it's an essential tool for the new hunter. Um, and Marcus joined us and he's sitting out east. Uh, he's ma- packed up his bags, moved out east and uh, set up his home, uh, I believe, in Nova Scotia. And uh, but he's uh, done a lot of cool work with uh, for the hunting community, building an app that makes basically navigating, waypointing, getting access to regulations much more accessible to to hunters across Canada and I believe into the states. So, hey, Mark, welcome to the Eat Well Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Dylan. Hi, Jenny. Um, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this because I think we did a um, a webinar. Uh, I think it was last year I invited you on to a, one of the Eat Wild webinars to talk about, to do an e- e-scouting uh, webinar and talk about um, how the iHunter app, app can help with the e-scouting uh, concepts that I was delivering through this webinar process. And you were kind of the, the star of the webinar because everybody had so many questions about uh, how they could use the app and build more information into it. But before I get too far into things, uh, Mark, have you ever been lost in the woods? I have never been like really lost. Um, I have uh, ha- I've been turned around. That would be one one term for it, I suppose. Um, but no, I've never been uh, I've never been truly lost. Actually, no, that's not true. On a snow, sh- I, I wasn't lost, but it was a it was a failed attempt to summit um, to the Fryat Hut in uh, Jasper National Park, and we were doing a snowshoe trip in and it got dark and we did get turned around and we couldn't we couldn't find the hut um and so but one of the three guys with us he went up and he continued on he found the hut and we lost his tracks or something like we got turned around we had to regroup without him he's at the top but we don't know that we're whistling uh whistling we don't have radios we were unprepared um, he had satellite uh, communicator, but he went ahead of us. Um, it was a uh, not a comedy of errors, but yeah, it was not great. Um, and you're 11 kilometers back, and it's dark, and it's starting to get very cold. Uh, so me and my brother-in-law, or soon-to-be brother-in-law, I brought my sister's almost fiance or almost husband out with me, and. Uh, yeah, and we we ended up having we went all the way back to the car, so eleven kilometers back at you know eight or nine p.m. in the dark, and so we got back to our cars and got back out you know a twenty-four hour hike of a day, and we've uh, they called to report us missing because we didn't uh, report in, and Sean who had made it up to the summit, uh, yeah, he he reported us missing because he he had come down to try to find us. It was, yeah, so yes, I have been lost. But <laughs> I was I gonna did, say that sounds pretty lost to yeah, me. <laughs> but I, I, the the thing is, is we we didn't feel like threatened mm-hmm. because we knew where we were in relation to the car. We knew exactly how to get out, and it was just walking. Um, obviously, if one of us had been injured or something like that, that would have been a different story. But we. I think we stayed cool enough to know that we could just walk out, but we didn't stay cool enough to, to try to, I don't know, maybe slow down and actually have a solid plan with us. So, you know, we made mistakes and uh, luckily 
nothing, yeah, nothing uh, negative happened. It was a, it was a, yeah, bad slash interesting experience. So my follow-up question was going to be, would, would the would the iHunter app have helped you in this situation? But I, I'm not going to let you answer because there's so many bad decisions there. It doesn't matter what technology you had in your pocket. Yeah, so. exactly. Hey Jenny, have you have you been lost in, recently, it, or had you know been turned around, or as Jeff calls it, in when you're temporarily confused in the woods? Well, I, I totally agree with Mark, too. Like, there's absolutely degrees of being lost. <laughs> I, I just expressed a number of them. From yeah. Turned around to, um, you know, stranded. <laughs> stranded. Totally yeah. screwed up, yeah. Um, I think my experience recently was that last year at Whitetail Camp, and it was more of a, again, a, a loss of confidence on exactly where I went, where I was. <laughs> So I uh, I hadn't turned my GPS tracker on that morning, and then I was up wandering around the hill looking for whitetail, and I came across a set of tracks. I'm like, damn, there's another hunter up here. And I looked at him, and I'm like, oh, those are mine. Oh, that's weird. I didn't think I'd been here before. So confidence was low at that point. And then I turned my tracker on. And uh, I was like, okay, this is good. And I'm pretty sure I knew where my truck was. And I wasn't overly worried. And I kept wandering around, kept hunting. I was like, oh, I should start heading back to the truck. Because um, it's sundown and my feet are cold. And <laughs> not 100% sure where I was. And um, again, had I followed my internal sense of direction, I think I would have been way better off. Because I was staring at my GPS going, oh, it says my truck's 300 meters away. But I just wasn't factoring in my elevation change. So I kept walking and walking towards my truck. But then I would, I'd walk, what, 100 meters, and I'd still be 250 yards, 250 meters from the truck. So that was decreasing my confidence in um, where I thought. But I just kept going, and I got out. It was okay. And I knew the guys back at camp would come and find me. <laughs> Follow your they, track. They knew where I was. All right. So that, uh, thanks, Jenny. I was trying to kind of lead into like how I know I think we've all been temporarily confused, lost, or, you know, slightly, you know, turned around. Uh, so Mark, maybe just introduce, introduce us a little bit to the, 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 the navigation, the, 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 the app does a lot of things, but let's, let's start with the, the navigating functions of the iHunter app and how someone can use it to feel more confident in the woods and what tools are available within it. Uh, definitely. Like there's, there's, quite a few different ways that you can use it to gain confidence. I'd say that the um, the best way to gain confidence is to be prepared ahead of time and, and research your area. So I think just for from scouting purposes, um, whether you're using like iHunter on your desktop, like there's a web, a web version of the app that you can go and use and all the, your same waypoints are there. So, you know, you can you can prepare for a hunt by um, doing some e-scouting and, and, and looking for those key areas and marking them ahead of time. Um, you can also draw out routes um, from where you expect to be going in and, and have those as reference points on the maps as well. So that when uh, you're actually in the field and, you, and you're trying to figure out, um, you know, how to get to that pre-planned spot that you would maybe scouted out ahead of time, you've got reference points that you can uh, click on and say, you know, give me the go-to the go function. So it's always pointing you uh, where... Uh, where your target destination is. So that's, um, you know, that's kind of using some pre-scouting and some in-the-field uh, tools 
to get you where you need to go. Uh, you can also pre-cache all of your satellite and topographic maps. So um, again, doing a little bit of pre-planning ahead of going out into the field. If you're if you're hunting in terrained areas, you're also probably hunting without cell service. I, I'm not sure how it is in, in the parts of BC that you guys are hunting, like if you're in parks and stuff. Maybe there is some, but in most cases where I hunt, there's very limited or it's spotty, right? So you want to prepare for that. And you can pre-download satellite and topographical uh, maps onto your phone so that you have full satellite capabilities while you're in the region that you've planned to be. It takes a little bit of forethought. If you're, if you're going to drive 100 kilometers away um, spon spontaneously, you, know, you, might, you might not have that data. So you, you want to make sure that you're, you're doing a little bit of planning ahead. The draw and measure feature is also extremely useful for trying to pick out those target spots of like, you know, where are you going to have vantage points? Like if you're, if you're scouting out a, an area for whitetail hunting by pre 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 planning a little bit and, and seeing where all of your different shooting lanes are and wh where uh, certain trees are going to obstruct your view or whatnot, you could either pre plan uh, your approach that you're going to have to do in the dark uh, the next day. And you could do that from, you know, your, your cabin or whatnot. And, uh, plan out your day, your next day's hunt. So there's a couple of, there's a, actually I could relay a couple things actually. So, so last year, Jenny, Jenny and I went on a, an adventure actually with our friend Selena as well. And we flew into the headwaters of a, one of the Northern rivers in BC it's wilderness area. And we, we took, uh, alpaca pack rafts in and took three yeah. pack rafts in, in the three of us. And, and then, sheep well we drifted down the river a ways and then sheep hunted and then drifted down a bit more and sheep hunted and then elk hunted our way out um but the river itself I mean, so so a number of things that were critical i, I really appreciate you starting out with sort of that pre-planning and overview of the area and we spent a lot of time searching over the the mountains first of all for you know access to the mountains where we could actually root find into the sheep country that was a big piece um but where the where the iHunter app was invaluable was the draw feature. So just drawing out how much river we were going to co cover off because rivers don't go in a straight line. So you kind of have to just follow the river and you go back and forth. Or, well, meanders, you know, meanders. That's the right word. Uh, back yeah. and forth, and then you know what is, uh, you know, what was a hundred miles as a crow flies was actually about hundred and seventy miles of meandering river through the mountains so it was great to know how far we had to travel and you do the math as far as how fast you can go on a raft and get a rough idea how far we could travel in a day that was huge and having that feature was was super great and the other feature that was invaluable for us is that we being able to download satellite imagery and topographic imagery before we left have it cached in the phone and then i spent a lot of time on the desk so that's the other thing i should really like what i really love about well, this is a new thing for you when did you guys come up with the desktop application where you can kind of go between your desktop and your phone i think we've had that uh available for two seasons now so it'll be about a year and a half um availability and performance isn't awesome awesome on the desktop it's experience like the web the web app we're working on that we're we're working through problems like our our focus has always been on mobile first uh, because that's what you're usually using in the field and you need to be reliable 
the web, um, yeah, somewhat was an afterthought, just, uh, but we, we do realize like the importance of, of doing your research online and it makes a big difference, right? Having it on your big screen and being able to do that intricate work at home and not pecking on your phone, trying to do that same, same detail work. Totally. So we were able to like kind of plan out, you know, there's parts like, you know, you know, Jenny and Selena and I could get on and share a call and we could look over the maps and drop some waypoints as to where we thought we were going to map, where we were going to camp and stuff. But what was super invaluable was the, I went, I flew down the river, like flew as in on the, on the, on the desktop app at, at the highest resolution, uh, um, setting and looked at every piece of white water, every boulder or, or stick in the river or, or where the river narrowed, it would look like there was a Canyon feature and I marked it. And, so I kind of had, and I had a bit of a rating marking as to what I thought. No, no one's done this trip before. I should mention that there's not like, not like a book on, you know, you know, where the rapids are, you know, couple, couple of people who are crazier than us have done this with not great technology and, um, or not great quality rafts. We, we, in any event with that, with having marked everything, we were able to drift down the river. And I knew just by looking at my phone that I come around the corner and there's going to be some whitewater feature that I had to step out of my raft and have a look at before we ran it or, you know, it was amazing. So that, that was a huge feature for us. I, that's uh but that was pretty cool. Uh, hey Jenny. So as a, what, what's sort of the, what's one of the game changers that you found using kind of picking up what well, you use a bunch of apps now for as a, as a, an, as a very seasoned new hunter now. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, so tell me what the game like. Uh, what, what's what's been cool about the iHunter app as you brought that into um, use on on your hunting trips? The private land feature. I 100%. can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess I mean again I have I'm pretty good in the woods. I could do a bunch of sports out there. So it wasn't the being it wasn't like getting lost that I was concerned about. It was when I started hunting. It was shooting an animal where I shooting the right animal where I legally could. So when I would wander through the woods, I would think I didn't know that I could shoot a deer right beside a cow. So, <laughs> so I wouldn't have the confidence to know that. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I'm like, Oh, clearly I can't hunt here. That's a bummer. Or like, Oh, there's a clearly a farmer's fence that looks like, a, like it's old and broken down, but I, I guess I can't hunt here and I'd wander away. So I think I lost a fair amount of opportunity um, thinking, that I couldn't, I wasn't legally allowed to hunt in, in these areas. So that's been the biggest one for me. Absolutely. And so just by being able to see that it is private land, you know, that you like, do you just avoid it in that case? Or do you actually try to seek out uh, the owners? No, I avoid it. I go just because I, of where I live and stuff. I don't, I mean, I, I haven't, I've never sought permission to hunt on private land um, because at this point I don't feel that I need to. Okay. Yeah. So it's like more of a preference of um, yeah. like you have public land, like BC has so much public land, yeah. there's kind of unlimited um, opportunity. Yeah. Very fortunate. So, and I think that's the adventure that I prefer is to wander around um, by myself or with another person in the woods and, uh, and try and get, uh, fill my freezer in that method, as opposed to doing it on someone else's property. Yeah, I can understand that. Like I, I do a combination of both and, um, yeah, it's nice to have options for both, right? Like if you do need to find private land, uh, 
like I, I, I find it useful in the sense that um, even if you're hunting public land, if you're hunting adjacent to private land, you know, things can go uh, squirrely anytime. Like if you take a bad shot or um, injure an animal and you have to track that animal, now you're in a little bit of more of a predicament and you actually have to find that landowner um, short of, you know, calling in conservation or whatnot to assist. But yeah, like, you know, trespassing is a big deal. And it, it's actually interesting out here in Nova Scotia, trespassing isn't, it's not the same out here. Um, you are actually allowed to access people's private land um, for actually for the purposes of hunting. Like you, as long as it's not, you know, manicured lawn or, or, or like a tree farm or, you know, something that's being actively managed, the general public is allowed to access private land. There's a little bit of a um, stigma to it still, and rightly so. Like people want to know who's on their land, um, especially during hunting season. They would like to know that, but legally, it's not actually a requirement. If if somebody does encounter you on the land and asks you to leave, uh, you, you shouldn't come back, um, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's a lot more open. Um, even last time I was out here, I did get a chance to uh, hunt for like a one week period. And I did, you know, seek out the, the, the landowner's permission. But yeah, like I, you don't actually have to in those general wooded areas. And it's great for access on top of the 30% of the province that is crown land. Um, so we're moving out here. We had the two week quarantine. We couldn't go anywhere. Um, so I actually built the, the uh, Nova Scotia public lands subscription similar to BC. I don't have the private land data in there yet, but um, the crown land data is in there. And I like it should be very helpful for, for myself, like exploring a new area and actually being able to find all of these parcels of crown land. That's awesome. It's great. You just built yourself it. You just built yourself an app to be <laughs> to go hunting in. Your, in well, honestly, the that's the origin story of the app as well. Though is that um, I was hunting a new area in Alberta, and I, I started finding all of the digital boundaries, and I figured there has to be a way that you can present this on a phone, because if you can see where you are in the boundary, that that takes the guesswork out of it, and it simplifies things, and it just kind of uh, rolled on from there. I found yeah, I, too, I think when I started hunting that I was quite a naive hunter and I also wanted to be a litigious hunter. And there's a lot of signs out there that, that say no hunting that have no right to be there. So that's a total, that's a very interesting topic because yeah, it happens kind of everywhere, right? Like people do, like there's a couple different ways that it can happen that way. I suppose maybe at one point it was private land, but most private land doesn't turn back to the crown. Uh, typically, unless there's some um, buyback or something like that. And, so, you know, sometimes things are missed and sometimes it is uh, malicious. Like we, I've had users report in this year um, inside provincial parks, uh, having no hunting signs. And he actually, you know, took waypoints with the app, went and showed uh, showed uh, the park, one of the park, uh, Alberta Environment and Parks officials or sent them screenshots and locations and asked, you know, inquired about it. And they're like, yeah, those aren't supposed to be there and we'll, we'll get those removed. Nice. Um, yeah. It is, a, it is. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just had a, I, I've got a great story for you. It kind of ties us together. Um, one of the spots that uh, I used to get sent up. So we, so Jenny and I both, I, I've been going to whitetail camp for 35 years and Jenny's been coming for darn near 10 years. Jenny, you've been coming for 10 years yet. Yeah. I think that's, no, I think this year is my eighth. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but she's a not a new hunter anymore. <laughs> no, I know. But 
<laughs> I want to get rid of that term. I was like, how much? How many things do I have to kill? <laughs> oh no, I, I I mostly just find I love I love your perspective, especially on this podcast as an adult hunter who's learning yeah. as an adult, and that's what I think is fun, and and that's why I wanted to include you here because you're learning in a different era where I where my experience as a as someone who grew up hunting, I just I don't know how I learned how to wander around in the woods without getting lost. I've just done it, and and uh, and it's a different place to to try and support you know, this newer generation of hunters who are coming online and, and wanting to learn. And I, I'd like to be able to, you know, provide them a perspective that comes from an adult learning perspective. So, so thank you for taking that on Jenny. I'm, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll be, I'll, I'll use the other terms, emergent, emergent hunter or. Well, just hunter. She's a hunter. At this point. <laughs> yeah. like, I like it. I, mean, I like it. I know, like most, like many, many hunters that you just meet randomly. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the same as that. It's, it's, that eight to 10 years hunter, because like there's so many people that try, or there are a lot of people that try hunting, but not everybody, it doesn't stick with everybody. There's a lot of people that'll come out for that weekend or two, but it's not everybody that gets to eight years of like active hunting. Well, and Jenny's deadly too. Like it can count on Jenny. Like when I hear a bang go off in the forest, I, it's likely Jenny. I don't like, I, I find it with people that I, I, I go hunting with them and I hear a bang go off and I'm like, the, the thought doesn't even cross my mind that someone's killed something, but like, like it's, what I'm pretty are, what confident. Are those names? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are the guys exactly like you said, they come out for a few years and on the weekends and then kind of give it up. They've, they've had that explore exploratory and enjoyed it. Um, but Hey, I want, I wanted to come back to the story because it's got of it tells a couple of stories about what you guys just brought up. So at, at Whitetail camp, I used to get dropped off at the spot, um, and we'll we'll just for for we'll call it kilometer thirty six on some name some unnamed road, <laughs> and uh, Jenny knows, <laughs> and and where this spot was, uh, I was shown on a topographic map that the the high the 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 provincial highway uh, uh, the the highway right away just the the private properties come down in such a way that that just touches the corner of the highway right away and then takes off. So the, the, there's a, the, the highway that, sorry, the property boundary that runs north to west touches the highway and then the east-west property mark that takes off from that same point. Um, there's just enough of a point there that you can technically step Cross. off. The, yeah. Step off the highway. And if you step over the, 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 over the pin in the ground there, you technically would not be touching private land. Now, we never park our cars there because we didn't want to antagonize the landowners that we'd be hunting there, or nor did we really want anybody else to really have figured this out. Um, so I would get dropped off at kilometer 36, and and I had it figured out with my topographic map, my compass, and my first-generation GPS that if I stepped over this, this uh, property boundary pin, I was on crown land, and then if I just... If I just used my compass from that point on, I could follow it a northerly direction walking along these unmarked private property boundaries and be confident that I was walking away from private property. And, and then I eventually, after I covered 500 meters, I was past all potential of being on private property and I was hunting. And, and for years I would shoot deer on this hill, but to get the deer off the hill, I'd have to drag it down and around the far side of the property boundary where at more like a kilometer 39 or something like four kilometers up the road and then onto the highway just to completely avoid all the high, all the private property. They didn't want to try and jump the deer over that little bit of private property where I stepped over, right? Or didn't want to antagonize anybody, right? Um, 
So anyways, like 30 years later, I'm sitting there with your app and the app is telling me that there's like a, a 10 foot wide corridor, but right. That goes right along onto this side hill. So actually there, there's someone along the way, main, like the, Maintain, maintain public a, access. Maintain public access there that I've been stepping over for years. And and for years there was two no hunting signs posted next to each other, one for each landowner who's I was stepping between. And actually, as it turns out, I could have dragged a dozen white-tailed deer right down that road access, parked my car on the side of the highway, and dragged my deer down instead of the extra three or four kilometers up the road. So nice. anyways, there you go. Have Another you back to that spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. Oh, yeah. So it's a yeah, new, I, shot, I, it's, I shot a deer there last year. I shot, I shot the biggest white tail I've ever shot last year on that hill. And so. you pulled him out of that little right away. You bet. Nice. Yeah, it was great. great. Yeah, I, I, and I dragged him right to the, the, the right away. And there's just, it actually turns out like there's a one really good trick if you're a white tail hunter and you hunt solo a lot is if you drag a deer off the hill, always leave it on a bank on top of a bank that you can, and then you can back your truck into the bank and let your tailgate down and then slide the deer off the bank into the back of your truck. So there's like the perfect deer, like it's like a, a deer <laughs> launching ramp right there. So it's like, it's like, and like it's because it's, yeah, like I think I probably shot like 10 or 12 bucks on this hill. And, I, and I'm like, man, this is, like I was a lot of dragon as a kid around, around this. So yeah. Anyway, so th- thanks to your app, I don't have to drag around. And it's good because I'm older now and I, and I'm not as tough as I once was. So. Yeah, and just just to be clear, like it's not uh like that's all the BC public data, right? Like BC does a, a fantastic job of actually making that data available. Like some provinces, um, you know, they actually charge you like significant uh money, like enough that it's a deterrent. Like in Nova Scotia, I'm not sure that I'm going to do the private land boundaries because it's you know X number of dollars, um, and I don't think that we would recoup that cost uh, just with the number of hunters and how people. Um, hunt there i could be wrong about that i maybe i should just jump in and uh, make that available like purchase that data and uh, try it out but i mean by making it free for developers to to use and offer offer to um, like hunters or end users anybody uh, it's fantastic it just makes it um, a lot a lot easier for people to innovate and actually uh, get that data out to the public that really surprised me that they're able to do that from a provincial legal standpoint, that they can keep that data, that you have to pay well, for something it, it, like that. In many provinces, Alberta included, they have a public-private partnership. So um, it, there may be like a, a service company um, kind of between the, the data and uh, the distribution of that. And in so, some jurisdictions like Ontario, a lot of the data has been pieced together from many different municipalities. So ownership of the actual data is um, is varied. So different different municipalities or uh, government levels would own um, the data and or hire other companies to do that data collection. And yeah, so there are private companies in Ontario and um, Nova Scotia, Quebec that you have to pay for data, and some of those are even from directly from the government that you have to pay you have to pay that fee. So maybe this this is I had this question a little bit further down on my thought my thought list here, but uh, maybe describe how it kind of works where you've got a platform of a a GPS app or sorry I get, yeah it's a, an application that then you add layers to how how does that work in terms of what what this app does and b- maybe break that down a little bit for the listener. 
Uh, yeah, like it's it's different in different provinces because there is different avail data available. So like in some provinces, we have things like full land ownership maps that will show the landowner name and property boundaries. And those are individual, like we'll, we'll make deals with individual counties or rural municipalities and uh, basically just license those maps and, and, and resell those. Uh, th those are really invaluable in those jurisdictions. In other province, in other provinces, that that data just isn't publicly available. Um, and and so in those cases, these open data programs uh, they allow us to integrate all sorts of useful data. Um, but we have some limitations in terms of size and amount of things that we want to uh, bake into the app. That um, if you just offer everything that is available, people get pretty overwhelmed and you can turn things on and off and it, it doesn't, it's also not that scalable. You are limited on these mobile devices. You can only have, um, you know, so many layers activated at a time. So you have to start putting in limits and, and uh, because these are huge data sets and there, there's lots of ways that we work around that. But yeah, basically we want to be able to add any sort of hunting related data into into the app um, as individual layers. Some of those layers you can tap on and get additional information, um, whether it's just links to the BC Park site or if it's um, for the for property information, uh, it'll show like the property identifier so you can actually look up that property and pull a land title so that you can find out who owns it and, and go and inquire about gaining permission. Um, it's not as streamlined as we'd like it. Like it would be nice if you could like actually just tap on that name and, and, and purchase that title right in the app. But like the functionality is there and with, with some free planning, uh, you know, those advanced features can be quite useful. Okay. Hey, that's it. So I'm curious, the, there's also the functionality we haven't even talked about it that you can tap on the, you know, your location and it'll provide you the regulations of what you're hunting. Did, did the, the concept of being able to provide like, location specific uh hunting regulations did that come before or after the mapping concepts like what was the sort of the part those of were basically two or th you know two of the four main core features that we launched with after like day 30 like i i came up with the concept mid-season in a hunting season because of personal uh you know just trying struggling myself with some boundaries and i started working on it and yeah, so the, the location-specific um, season summaries are actually, yeah, like they they help a lot for figuring out everything that you can hunt in that specific area. A lot of regulations are, are written in a way that is, you know, specifically for this um, species of animal and then what is the list of all of the zones that you can hunt that animal in. But most people... Or at least I, I personally, you know, I choose areas based on access or based on where I want to explore and, you know, what kind of sign I've seen there. And then I kind of investigate, okay, well, what's open in that area? You do some pre-planning, figure out what's there. And then I'm, I'm obviously keeping that in mind as well. Um, I might look at that ahead of time. But once you've narrowed into an area, which is the kind of the biggest piece of the puzzle in my, in my opinion, um, yeah, then you have all of the details as to, you know, how many you can take and uh, what the season dates are. And it's um, a little bit more convenient to look up that way. I was using it uh, last Saturday while I was ski touring. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm like, I like this zone. I'm like, this is awesome. And Matt's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm checking iHunter. 
I'm like, what, what, what can we do here? When can we come back? And I'm like, April 15th, we can get a bear here. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was and awesome. Jenny, when did you uh, when did you start using iHunter? Just out of curiosity, because you know, you, it sounds like you've been hunting for eight or more years, and um, so you you probably had some experience with not having technology um, for the first couple of years. Yeah, or did absolutely. You, yeah. So my I I look back actually I got my because I just had to re, I renewed my PAL two years ago so I think I've been hunting for well for seven or eight years, um, but I think as a new hunter it was that was my most nerve wracking thing is that I wanted to be a 100% sure that I was shooting a legal animal in a legal spot. So again, it was really great to be able to look up all those regs. And I remember one of the trips coming home from Whitetail Camp, unsuccessful trip to Whitetail Camp, but with a bloodthirst or bloodlust that was so high, we were driving down the highway. I'm like, there's deer. I'm like, pull out the app. Can we shoot it here? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. And I'm flipping through the book. <laughs> So it was. I think we had uh, the app was there maybe at that time, and I had the regs. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so it's so much better to have have the app for sure. But still, do your due diligence and yeah. try to know, like with the oh, yeah. official regulate. That's my disclaimer. Like, don't jump out of your truck and like it says we can shoot three of them. I think that's that's the difference now of of being a bit more experienced is you're like that that part I've moved away from now. But at yeah. the beginning when you're like, I'm walking through the woods and I have a gun. Like that was just, that was in my head so much and then yeah, there was just so much to consider and every step I took, I'm like, Oh my god, if I shoot something here, like I've gotta get it back there. And so it was just an, another piece of the puzzle that made it um more accessible to me. So yeah. Yeah, it's good to hear that it's more accessible because I think um, it can be hard to stay on top of um, all of the, the rules and regulations. Like, obviously, everybody should be reading them basically cover to cover every year um, mm -hmm. or and and at a bare minimum, reading all of the changes and, and, and things like that. Um, there can be errors like there are errors every year in almost every single uh, regulation booklet that we review like errors that we know, like this just doesn't seem right. Why would they make such a big change here, but not put it in the what's new um, area? And so often we contact them and we, we double check on things like that. Sometimes we're, we catch the errors, sometimes they catch the errors and let us know afterwards. And sometimes user, like end users catch the errors because we could introduce something that we've, you know, a season date changed and we missed it. Like uh, those things can happen. I just, I always want to, to let people know like, yeah, you, you should always double check because you should always be reading your regulations anyways. Like we do our best, but you know, there's, there's opportunity for human error at many different levels in the chain. And yeah, it's just good to be on top of those things. And at least if you are hunting an area that you've planned out, um, you know, not mid trip <laughs> on the side of the highway, um yeah you you should you should be aware of all those intricacies of that zone there could be restrictions that um you know are not noted uh prominently or uh there's a lot of maps in the synopsis in bc that the province doesn't actually have digital maps for those they have artists renderings um that are that are put into the booklet and those are not at all to scale or um, there's no way to extrapolate that and, and use that as a reference point on a digital map because the margin of error is just way too big and it, it doesn't do anything. So 
if they don't provide that digital data, which it would be really nice if they did because there's a lot of closed areas and special areas that um, it, people come to expect iHunter to be a complete set of things, but it can't be because like there's there's always um, restrictions that are undocumented or documented in a way that's not digital, like that is not, um, and obviously like we can't go out and map a, um, a boundary that's described in text that would change, that could change every year based on the, the river. You know, wow. it's, uh, so there are always things, like I, I always, I just want to remind people that there's, um, it's there's nothing is actually 100% because even the data that the province supplies can have errors in it. Um, I posted a recent blog post about this um, uh, on the iHunter website, and it's also just in the app. You can see there's usually a notification at the bottom. And But yeah, somebody like the river actually did change, and the river was the boundary between a archery only zone and a rifle zone. And so all of a sudden, according to the app, according to the data that the, the province provides and that they have on all of their websites, uh, basically every map that's out there for this new hunter, and he's like trying to be, you know, letter of the law, exactly. There's basically this island or like, you know, outcrop of land that is no longer uh, there or that is there now, but wasn't previously. And so that the bank, the actual boundary between these two zones changed and he got his deer taken from him. Um, and so I feel some guilt there. Like it, it uh, the, there is an inaccuracy, but it's like at every level up the chain, that inaccuracy exists and people are making decisions on, on that because the, the text description of a zone is ridiculous to expect people to be able to, it, it's not ridiculous. Like I, I should restate that they should like, there needs to be like a, an absolute. And I think in today's day and age, the absolute should be a, a definitive thing that is measurable because we have the tools to do it and many different tools to do it. And like, I understand the, the difficulty in remapping rivers every year uh, because they change the boundaries, but maybe that means that the boundary needs to be changed to some other uh, defining feature um, of that area that doesn't change so frequently. Yeah. You probably have, you probably know a lot more about this kind of stuff, Dylan, and the complexities involved in it. But um, it's it's a difficult problem. Well, so, I like yeah, I like. I mean, there's two points that I think are super valid. I mean, there's a number of points here that are valid. But two of the things that jump to mind is that you know in BC we do have what is a fairly you know. Uh, a map set that, that cover off our no shooting areas that could be open to interpretation because they are an artist rendering uh, in a very small scale or, or there's no map, no scale on the map uh, as to where these areas are. And usually they're described as like, you know, 400 meters above a hydro right away line or 600 meters from a highway or whatever those, those are described as distances from. And, and they give you enough information. You can interpret what they're trying to tell you to, to act accordingly and act responsibly, uh, and um, but there's also the the like the legal descriptions. I think it's meets and bounds, or where they where it's like a series of of latitude longitudes with compass bearings trying to describe a mapping area. Which in this day and age, that's not that's not fair information to to share with someone to say, oh well, here's a here's a bunch of numbers and 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 uh, and bearings to try and figure out where you should and shouldn't be. Um, 
Department of Fisheries and Oceans is terrible for this. They they describe fisheries closures in a in a language that people just cannot read. Like that, I'm I'm a relative expert at navigation, and I like would have to plot that out on a map, and it would take me going back 20 years to some course that I took 20 years ago to try and maybe do it when they could just put it into a you know a, 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 a you know they could put it into a, a, a Google Earth file and just like show show me a polygon in a Google Earth file and make it a KMZ and everybody would know exactly where that closure is and they would respect it but instead they they don't give you that information readily um, so there there is some b- breakdowns there and I, I know there's legal implications around it. obviously you have to be able to probably uh, write it down in legislation to reflect the actual closure that can be enforceable and it's hard to say well reference some you know polygon I made in Google Earth as, as the as the legal definition of a boundary closure but you know I think there's work that we could all do there to make it better but I think the important part is is that for regulators to understand that the end user now have uh, a phone in their hand that can just demonstrate exactly where they are inside of a polygon so if you can sh- give us a polygon, everybody will respect it because they'll know where they are inside or outside that polygon, depending on what they're talking about. A polygon is just a is a is a series of points on a map that describe an area. Yeah, it's just a shape of it yeah. can be anything, right? And um, yeah, like the, the the great thing is is that a lot of provinces are awesome about open data, but it's a hard problem. Like it's hard to keep these kinds of things. Um, up to date and you know they're probably working through backlogs and hopefully they will get to to some of these extra items but it's a completeness issue and the expectation when you you start using devices that that show you all of these different areas is that people start relying on them as a complete map and um maybe we will get there as we mature and maybe we will start mapping our you know start doing our own mapping of these kinds of things but really i think that if they're legally um like provincial level or uh, municipal level um, type restrictions, we should provide those. Like it would, it would benefit everybody if we provided those and made them accessible. Absolutely. So this is great. So this is kind of going where I, I was hoping this conversation would go, and it's kind of thinking about like, um, like things have changed just dramatically. So I le- okay. Did you learn Mark how to navigate using a compass and map as a kid? As a kid, yes, but like I, I, I'll be honest, and yeah, I don't, I'm not, uh, I, I wouldn't be competent right now. Yeah, I, I find myself in a bit of a trap, not a trap. This is just a, this is a more of a, uh, a thought process for me. Is that I, I do a lot of these um, hunter education workshops where we take people out in the field, and and you know, the first thing I learned as a kid was how to read a map and how to use a compass. And that became the foundation of my understanding of how topography works, orientation to north, and and that just created my foundation for orient, orienteering in the woods. Now, I spend a bunch of time trying to help people understand this when I do field workshops, and I think it's important. But realistically, and, and maybe Jenny, like, you know, I've no doubt spent some time with you working on those fundamentals. Uh, do, do you... Do you feel like that's value that there's value in in learning those things or 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 maybe like maybe just the reality is we're at a place now where the functionality of the navigating via app or GPS is so high that maybe we should skip maybe skip that and focus on 
teaching people how to use these apps most effectively so they can stay safe and, and navigate. Jenny, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's all about the app. 100%. Uh, oh, for sure. 100%. I mean, it, it, especially with the new generation coming up, with the millennials that are so used to, like, they're even more, way more attuned with using their phones for everything. And I think it's easier and they learn quicker. So I would spend any time that you would teaching someone how to use a map and a compass, how to take care of their cell phone battery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Because that's really, that's, that's when you're going to get into trouble. And I don't know if people are, if they pull out their compass, if they're going to know how to use it. So I think moving forward, it's all about the app and then um, making sure that you've got power. Yeah. Gosh, Jenny, that's pretty straight up. What do you think, Mark? I, I didn't expect that answer because I, I think that um, that base knowledge is good, but I don't know what the base knowledge, like there needs to be some base knowledge, but is that stuff that you can develop um, by being in the woods and using um, software like that to help you get oriented and then you start figuring out, um, you know, you start being better in the woods in general with your with, with your direction and you pay attention may, maybe to those deviances that you are making and and figure out how to to read the land a little bit better independently of the technology so it's like a little bit of an accelerant and and helps you kind of have success early as long as you are still learning um how to do it without it because uh, like i i would not enjoy my day um hunting if I was following my phone like I don't I, I try not to use my phone in the field for actually navigating unless it's you know you're solving a problem like I need to get from here to there I need to figure out this this route but usually again you you've put in some of that scouting effort beforehand um, I'm, not, I'm not using it a lot in the field um, until I, I encounter something where I have a decision point or, or I haven't got to where I expected to get. Um, and, and that's usually when I rely on it now. But I can see at the beginning when if, if you are a little bit, um, yeah, if you're less prepared for an individual hunt or if you're just learning, you're, you might rely on those tools a little bit more. But then, like you say, that runs the risk of if you're dependent on that and your battery does die because it's, you've got the, the model that's one year old and Apple has throttled your battery for some unknown reason. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like you, you know, you would be pretty, uh, you know, in a, could be in a pretty bad spot and um, just depends on that, that situation, I guess. That makes, I like that with the, uh, the reading the landscape as well, for sure. I mean, I used to, I do that with my niece and my nephew when we're hiking, I'm like, which way is North? And they're like, Oh, and I'm like, okay. Like, look at the vegetation, like, and if you're ski touring, what are the prevailing winds? Where are the cornices building up? And then, okay, prove it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we, yay, we were right. <laughs> so. No, it's good. And, it, like, those are the type of skills that, as people get there, the common sense navigation skills that um, you either pick up or you're taught, hopefully. Um, but if you're not taught and you – Maybe this is a good opportunity. Maybe maybe we should be plugging your guys's navigation um, courses and workshops uh, in the app for new users, like people that um, are maybe using the app 
early on in their hunting um, experience and, you know, try to promote some of those videos so that they get the opportunity to learn what, what they maybe need to know, but aren't, aren't getting from other uh, sources. Because maybe yeah. if, if you only have X number of uh, minutes to, to deliver course content to somebody, maybe there are those extra modules that people should be kind of learning on their own, whether they'll do it or not. I don't, I don't know, but. Um, well, I do find, I mean, in my experience with, I mean, I, I, the couple lessons I've learned, as soon as you say uh, declination, you've lost people. And uh, you try to like help people plot, uh, uh, you know, a bearing on a map. I just the people just just have a really hard time getting that, like understanding that. Uh, um, and certainly when you start talking about magnetic north and true north, it just kind of loses people pretty quick. But I think the foundational piece of like a compass, like pulling a compass out of your pocket and noticing which direction you're walking, um, is is a great reference point. Like you should always know which way you're going. And it's pretty simple to be like, if you, if you walk north for an hour, then theoretically you should be able to walk south for an hour and get pretty close to being back where you came from. And if you build that in with the technology. <laughs> true. Yeah, true. Not if you're yeah. hunting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you but... might hit the same features, like, you know, going, uh, following that north and then south. But um, yeah, you could still be wildly off. Like if you, if you don't have other key landmarks on that that uh trip out um to reference and maybe that's something that people don't like new people might not recognize that you should be taking landmarks as you as you go somewhere like what how many of those uh giant lone pine trees have i passed on this um section of five kilometers not that detailed but like there there's are things that stand out that you remember that you can see from different vantage points well, absolutely. This is something that I, I have a, in my, I, I was as a kid, my, I've got a really good memory for remembering anywhere that I've been up until about 28 years old. <laughs> and that was about the time that I fully adopted GPS and iPhone into how I navigate. Um, but how I, many phone numbers do you remember? Well, all the ones I knew when I was in high school, that's for exactly, sure. Exactly, that's it. <laughs> I know. It's like, a, well, this is so interesting because you, I mean, the way that I used to navigate and figure out my hunting spots was just to pay attention to everything, right? And so I can remember, like, if I think about the first, like, I, I can think about exactly where I killed the first 25 deer that I've killed. And then the last 25 deer, I was sort of like, yeah, I think it was around here somewhere. But if I look at my phone, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's right here. Yeah, like like I know exactly, but, but as soon as I put that waypoint in my in in my phone or my GPS, I I no longer allow my brain to remember that location, and it also kind of sucks because like I remembered how to hunt certain areas a certain way, and there was things I noticed that made it me a better hunter in that time to get in and out of these places and and hunt them better. And now I find I do that in a different way. I have I I I I, I drop waypoints that say hunt here high density tracks here, good bedding zone here. And I have to like read my phone to rem it's like my eye brain to remember why I'm hunting in this spot this way, as opposed to just remembering it, which I used to remember it. And Dylan, uh, I've got some bad news for you. I think that you are sim like a similar age to myself. <laughs> and I, I think that there's just cognitive decline for us seasoned hunters, like the non new hunter. Um, where 
if you don't write it down, like I almost missed this podcast because uh, you, you texted me as a reminder and I was like, well, I'm currently in my workshop building a workbench. I have for clearly forgotten about this uh, podcast, but my, my notification went off five minutes later and buzzed in my pocket and I would have been here. But uh, I appreciate you acknowledging that I could have forgotten because it happens often. You know, I've got three kids and it's like you're just juggling schedules and um, if it doesn't get written down, it doesn't get remembered like a lot of the time. So I think it's it's a combination of things like we do have you have there's so much more information out now that you have to offload some stuff to or we do offload some some things to our devices so that we don't um unfortunately so that we don't carry that uh that burden of knowledge with us but like in some cases it wipes out those uh memories like i still rem i remember all of, like basically all of my animal harvest past a certain age when I was younger, I don't know the details. Like, you know, when I was uh, 12 to 15, you know, you might have, I might have had a loose idea of even where we were because, you know, somebody else has prepared that, that plan. My, you know, uh, we're, yeah. we're going to this hunt camp and I'm not driving, so I don't actually plot it out. You don't, didn't have phones back then. So you didn't uh, maybe plot out that map route and actually know even what zone you were going into because, you know, your, your mentor has just taken care of those things for you and as a result you don't actually learn that aspect of hunting because you didn't do that prep work um I've, I've kind of recognized like the amount that i've learned in the past 10 years versus the previous uh 15 it's it's tremendous like because when you're learning it on your own or relearning things or learning the whys like you know why why did dad tell me to to uh, hunt from this type of position as opposed to this one but you you just um you maybe don't always learn the why and so part of the adult onset or just the continuing education when when you start taking responsibility for your own um for everything related to hunting or to whatever activity you're taking on that's when you uh, really build that core knowledge you, you get like the general stuff from you know years and years of hunting and being in the presence of hunters but unless you actually take that active role to sit down and like learn uh, that content, um, yeah, maybe it it doesn't sink in. Yeah, no, I totally I totally agree. It's a, it's kind of neat to sort of reflect back on how memory works over the course of, of of my hunting life. Yeah, no, it's cool. Well, hey, this has been really fun. We have a couple more questions before we let you go to bed. I know it's probably a little bit later over there. Um, Jenny, what's our what's our favorite question to ask our guests? Well, if you could go on any hunt, what would it be? What's your dream, dream hunt? hunt? You know what? I think the dream hunt is what's available in that hunting season, honestly. So my dream hunt this year is, uh, um, yeah, it's white-tailed deer in Nova Scotia, probably over a pile of carrots. <laughs> that's 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 how it's done out here i might do that um but no honestly it's it's elk hunting but it's uh um i don't i don't have like a dream location or anything like that like i just love elk hunting every year and i'm not good at it and uh you know i don't have a successful elk harvest and it's frustrating and i love it and we have a blast every year and it's it gets I, i'm getting less and less time like days in the field every year you know as more and more kids are uh, in the mix and it, it's we just had a, a 
a newborn six months ago. So that's the third one. And it's just, it's busy. So elk hunting, you know, those four to 10 days in September um, are just, that's like my, my happy place. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. And I, I like the, I, I love the idea of learning a new hunt, no matter what the hunt is. So whether it's a, I, I, I had a successful blacktail hunt this year, just locally. And it's, it was just so fun to figure something out new. So you're at a great place because you get to learn, you know, how to hunt whitetails locally and whether they like carrots or turnips. I mean, it's going to be really, yeah. And you don't have to hunt that way here, but like there are other, other methods, but that is a, you know, a large amount of the hunting is done, you know, over carrots or apples. Um, and yeah. It doesn't mean it's easy. I got like, you know, there's nothing about hunting over. Yeah, deer are wily, and they they know when something's up, regardless if there's a, a a tasty meal there for them. So, no, it'll take some time to figure it out. But that's that's exciting. Um, yeah. Well, this is this has been fun to have you on, and I and I hope we can stay connected. I, I I'd love to try and uh, try to bring you on another one of our webinar workshops where we talk about do eat scouting. I think it was so popular having you on there, and maybe we could do one together that's more of a, a downloadable format that people can can access and. Um, and feel more confident using the app and doing e-scouting ahead of their, their adventures. So yeah, that's a great idea. And I would uh, be happy to work with you guys anyway that, uh, yeah, can help you guys out. Um, if, if you guys, uh, yeah, need anything sent out, just let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, Jane, I got to get back to scouting. Uh, you got to go to bed cause it's 12 o'clock your time, but Jane, and I have a, have a date to look over some, uh, so wilderness country to psych out our dream hunt, which is to be, have a successful, uh, sheep hunt so we're we're sort of scouting e-scouting some mountains and we'll be using the app to measure the river that we're looking at right now as to how long that river might be if we drift it um, so it's been fun but anyways it's been a lot of fun having you on here mark and uh i'm gonna send you an eat wild t-shirt for coming out and hanging out with us and uh, you can rock it out out east there and um yeah that sounds uh, good man i really appreciate that and uh yeah nice meeting you jenny and uh, nice talking to you again dylan thanks a lot this is awesome okay Take care, Mark. See ya. Well, that was a lot of fun. I want to thank Mark Stenus from the iHunter app for being on the podcast. If you want to find out more about the iHunter app, just Google it and you'll be able to locate the uh, desktop version, which is super helpful for pre-scouting before you head out in the field. And of course, download the iHunter app for your phone and you'll be able to use it to, for all the tools we talked about on the podcast today. If you want to do a deeper dive into how to use this tool and many others for uh, scouting in the field uh, before you go hunting. Join us for the Eat Wild e-scouting webinar. Uh, we do it three or four times a year. It's tons of fun and it's about two hours of like online learning with, with me and, and hopefully Mark and other experts on the subject. Uh, we all also have a whole bunch of other webinars that are designed for you to be well, better hunters in the field, more equipped, more supported, uh, longer conversations around what I think are essential parts of uh, learning to hunt. So hopefully you can check that out. And I uh, just want to thank Jenny again for being on the podcast and joining us with her curiosity and humor. It's always fun to have her. Okay, so hopefully you guys have enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please leave a review, share it with your friends on your me social media platforms, and we'll, we'll be back here again in a couple weeks. Hope to chat with you then. Okay, all the best. Okay.